Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, we're continuing our character class discussions with the muscliest, butt-kickingest, and every party's biggest rager, the Barbarian. I'm Chad, and tonight, we're talking with Beth. Hello. David. Hey, everyone. Sarah. Hi, y'all. And an extra special guest, our very own house Barbarian, Jesse. Zonkathon be praised. I wanted to start today talking about a book that came out about a month ago. <laughs> We're a little behind the times, guys. Uh, but I want to talk about the Game Mastery Guide. And since I am, in fact, the Game Master. What? Get out of shock- town. Just shocking to everyone. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> uh, I want to start with it. So, uh, the first thing that the book covers are GM basics, and it's kind of, I would not necessarily call it a basics. I think that if you're a GM in Pathfinder 2, go read the core guide first. But, there is a breakdown of these Pathfinder systems in this GM Basics chapter. And there are also a list, there's like some general advice, uh, and some, I wouldn't call them alternate rules, but kind of (sighs) sideways to play that I wanted to um, bring up, mostly because I already do some of these things. So, the first thing I wanted to talk about is session zero. Because it, go- it does go th- over it in this book. And we did a session zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recorded it. We put it out there. I love it. And I kind of think you all found it helpful as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's great. Especially if you're bringing anyone new into the into the game. Now, as an experienced player, I know I have a habit of showing up and already having like a character made, but then as we talk and make connections, uh I tweak that and you know, I might make little changes. Um so that's something that you can do if you're an experienced player showing up to session 0 uh with especially if you know somebody's new. But you could also do what's uh, like someone, Jesse and I know, who show up to session zero with about six characters made. It's her husband. It is, in fact, my husband. Uh, and then. Snitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, guys. Uh, and then pick whichever one fits. So you could do that. If you're, if you're a theory crafter, uh, that might be something that it interests you. If you just like making characters, um, mm. I will say when 
a whole group of those type of people get together, it's really awkward. Because, <laughs> like, everybody's sorting through their characters being like, I don't know, what, what do you want to play? I don't know, what do you want to play? Like, choice paralysis. Yeah, it's It's, it's like a worse version of where do you want to go to eat dinner? Yes, yeah, 100%. Because at least at the end, there's dinner involved. In session zero, you're not even playing at the end of it. You just go home. You just end up with like six different parties completely. We're like, oh, (laughs) this is great. The ultimate dystopia. Yeah. Gamer, uh, multiple gamer parties. Dystopia. Anyway. Uh, The next thing that I wanted to go over was pacing. So uh, this is something that I feel as a GM I've always struggled with. And I'm not going to say that I don't still struggle with it. Is the pacing of a session. If you know you're going to be sitting down for three hours the pacing is going to be different than if you know if you're going to be sitting down for six hours. And so I've always kind of struggled. Now, some of the advice that uh, the Game Mastery Guide gives is that um, about 20 minutes before it stops, Kind of figure out, like, time-wise, okay, I think they're going to get to this point. How can I leave it in a dramatic fashion? And uh, that's something that I definitely try to do uh, when we play. Uh, It kind of sucks sometimes. I think the worst example that I have is the... Episode with the Growlodon. That entire episode is just one fight. Yeah. Now, is it an epic fight? Sure. But I think the pacing could have been better. And it's always important as a GM, in my opinion, to look back on your performance, to look back on the story that your group is telling together and saying... Okay, how could I have made the storytelling here better? Makes sense. Um, Also, another piece of advice that I thought was kind of cool was they were like, hey, if you want to divvy up treasure or level up or complete downtime tasks, you could do over that over on email. And I just laughed. I was like, nobody's doing that by email. (laughs) Uh. But they are doing it online. They are doing it in like a chat or a text or like us. We could do that over Discord. What's an email? Exactly. Right. <laughs> like I don't check my email. <laughs> but I did find I, I thought that was a good idea. The idea of um, doing some of the tasks so that you can actually do role playing at the table beforehand. Um, I also think like shopping is another one. One more. Okay, Boomer. Wow. Rude. Well, getting back on topic. So after pacing, I wanted to talk about false information. And we've actually had this in uh, our games, too. 
And the book talks about the pitfalls of giving false information. So when you have a print failure on a recall information, it would, it's very often, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't even see the room as kind of a joke. Uh, I actually hate that. Um, there, If it was something that basic as, can you find the door in a single room and your character can't, you shouldn't have had them roll in the first place. Like, let's be real here. But when you have a recall information on, um, like, nature to uh, determine what a creature is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Looking at you, Chad. (laughs) What what are we about to talk about here? I think it can be humorous in many times to give false information. What I would say is, one, make it blatantly false Mm -hmm. to where someone else would be like, no. And what the game guide suggests is don't say something that's going to take a lot of time. Like, yes, it can be a funny joke, but you don't want to send your characters or your players off on some crazy wild tangent. And so providing uh, false information to PCs that would have a immediate consequence and that's about it, is fine, but beware of uh, giving false information that will impact your story as a whole. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for initiative, there w- it talked a little bit about doing batch initiatives. That's something I already do. So I don't know if you guys noticed this, and I, I won't do it sometimes if there's like two or three th- uh, creatures total, but I don't want to roll for an entire goblin clan. Yeah. All like so. for each individual person. So, you know, a lot of times when there are two or more things of the same type, I'll roll for all of them. So that was just some of the some of the advice. And then the last one, and this is one where I wanted kind of your guys' feedback. Uh, when we first started playing Age of Ashes, we had a map on the table, and we had enemies on there and, and uh, moved players and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but we decided that, especially since our listeners can't see that, we decided to go gridless. And we don't have a map. We don't have uh, that table. And we do it all by mind's eye. Uh, now that we've had a few sessions of doing that, how do you all think that that's going as players? So I prefer it. I find... Like, I know it's part of the rules. But the actual grid system and trying to count out movement, I find it kind of tedious. Like, I think within re- reason, like... Some characters have like, you know, 25 feet movement. Some have 30, some have 20. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that kind of thing can be punishing. Like, is it reasonable that you would be able to get to this character in one movement? Like, are you on rough terrain? Then, yeah, maybe you can't. But like, 
sometimes it, it, it amounts to tedium. And the idea that we can kind of fudge it a little bit just for the sake of the better narrative, the sake of mm-hmm. the better, the more interesting battle scenes, I really appreciate. Now, obviously, like, if the enemy's a mile away, obviously, like, a gnome can't get to it in time. To, right. But, like, you know, again, within reason, I find it freeing, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to say that, actually, I do that in both of my games now. Like, like both we don't care about movement speed really in both of my games. You know, we have a map in the other one that we use, um, but it's, it's more approximate and Mm -hmm. we just find that it it helps move the story along instead of having to sit there and count squares and be like, Oh, well, if I, you know, move this many diagonally or like if I, Mm -hmm. well, if I go this way instead of that way, Oh, well, I, so it just cuts down on a lot of sort of the the hemming and hawing of of movement. Um, 100%. And I think it's also really helpful for descriptions um, because, you know, since we are an audio medium um, and our listeners can't see what we're talking about, um, when we could see what we were talking about, it's a lot easier for us to be like, oh, well, what's that over there? instead of describing where it is located in the room or, you know, which direction it is. Um, So I think that's helped us be more descriptive. Um, Mm. I think we could probably still stand to do a better job of that. Agreed. Yeah, we need to work on that. Um, But I also think for our purposes, yes, that really works. For people who really want to role play, I think theater of the mind is a great way to go, but for people who maybe aren't comfortable with role play or just kind of want to get through game mechanics for some reason, instead of having the role play fun experience. Um, wow. Showing your partner that yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying theater of the mind. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the role play. Uh, but for those kind of people, I think, you know, having a, ma- a grid is much easier and allows for more rules to keep the game bound to. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. Do you think there's a happy medium somewhere? Oh, absolutely. I definitely think so. I think, well, Sarah. Uh, kind of mentioned one way that you could do it right there, which is just getting rid of movement speeds altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people ignore bulk because it just doesn't matter to them. Everybody's favorite game mechanic, encumbrance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, said no one ever. Right? Uh, <laughs> so, for me, well, first, David, did you have anything you wanted to add? Uh, I mean, I I do like the theater of the mind, but it really makes my minis a little bit useless now. Yeah. <laughs> they look very bare. That's the sad part for me. Yeah. You can put them on a chain and wear them around your neck. You can put them on your activity tracker. That is true. Uh, I I do want us to start using the activity trackers we made a little What's bit more. What's an activity tracker? Uh, exactly. So during exploration mode... Um, Chad made these strips of paper that had all the different options you could do during exploration mode. Well, no, I feel like a dick. (laughs) Don't, don't. So then you would put your miniature on whatever, um, whatever your 
doing. Um, and it's okay. kind of helpful to remember, like, oh, yeah, I was in expo- during exploration mode, I was sneaking. Or uh, usually if you're sneaking, you're going to say. But if you were defending or whatever. Or, or detecting like magic. Certain ones give you uh, certain bonuses to your initiative by using stealth. And Beth might look around and go, oh, right. well, you were sneaking. Why don't you use that? Mm-hmm. Right. So that is something I would like to do more. I will say that I do have one of the games that I run is more, I would say, uh, tactical. And so we really appreciate those tactical rules of movement and battles. And we use a battle map um, and we use the uh, Pathfinder pawns that they they sell that are cardboard pawns, not miniatures. We're we don't invest that much money. Um, but is a PF1 or PF2 game? Is that a it is game? a PF1. Mm. Um, eventually, I'll get them to convert over to two, but I think we're going to finish the current adventure path that we're playing through when we're playing Iron Gods. So, I was really trying to narrow it down a little bit. No, no, no. Uh, it's my Sunday group. So uh, we're a little more ta- tactical in how we play. Um I have yeah, a, a I, mu- I think that makes more sense for like the style of game. Mm-hmm. And like obviously, you know, all of these are subject to your own game and your own players and your own Exactly. Game. Yeah. My my Tuesday or my uh Iron Gods game, we want to be more tactical. Now obviously we do some crazy role playing stuff too, but there's that. So that was quite a bit of talk for the first chapter in the Game Master Guide. Um, I'm not going to really go that in-depth that in into the rest of it. Um, there's a tools chapter that gives you um, oh, some world-building tips to make your own world. Um, there's types of obstacles and traps that you can find in... Uh, adventure paths and stuff like that. Then you have a subsystems chapter. Uh, Some of the highlights from that are uh, social encounters, uh, asymmetrical obstacles, and vehicle rules. So that's cool. Uh, There is a variance chapter where it teaches you how to sort of create your own rules. Uh, It also... Uh, gives you advice on what to tweak to make something fit with your personal campaign or how you want to expand existing systems. And finally, and to me, one of the coolest things is there is an NPC gallery. So if you've got an idea for a thief, you know, you can just flip to this chapter and say, okay, here's a thief. I have the rules for him. Maybe you want to change the ancestry. Maybe you don't. It doesn't really matter. That's pretty useful. Yeah, I I think so too. I also think it'll be cool and would not be surprised if they published a a pawns box for the NPC gallery, which they have done before. Um, So I would, all of you guys who collect the uh, pawns out there, I would be on the lookout for that. So... In summary, like I said, I know I I went really in-depth in some of the rules stuff just because those are the things as a GM that I'm really passionate about Um, and not so much on the rest of it, but 
it is called the Game Mastery Guide. I think that's what this game is for. The other person that I think that this book is for are people who are interested in game design. So if you're interested in creating your own rules, this can help you sort of create those templates and, and shows you kind of how to look at balance. So that's interesting. Um, I personally found the book well worth the money. And so if you're, if you're a GM, you're interested in some advice and having an NPC gallery right at your fingertips is appealing, I would at minimum pick up the PDF of this. So that was kind of a, a long-winded winded <laughs> first topic. Let's get into our main topic of the day, the Barbarian. So, as usual, I'm going to start by talking about the fantasy of the class. Uh, sort of, what is a Barbarian? And I wanted to talk about the historical context of the Barbarian. And this is something I ended up actually starting to do quite a bit of research on. Um, I didn't start off that way. <laughs> but you know how you click on a Wikipedia link, and then you go down to the sources in the Wikipedia link, and next thing you know, it's midnight? And you're on the dark yeah. web, and so many horrible things are happening? Gotcha. Yeah, that happened. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no. Something similar to that. But uh, it was very interesting. And sort of the the ideas behind barbarian, I think, can have some problematic connotations. So if we're looking at just where it came from, it was a, a Greek and Roman word for foreigner. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're not from around here. Uh, but obviously it's transcended that it doesn't mean that anymore um it mostly f in, in most contexts you're gonna hear it it is a wild rude uncivilized person typically from a tribal culture that is not in game terms i'm talking about in like his or uh, not historical text, but um, like fiction context. You're making a face, Jesse. I don't want to skip ahead. Um, I'm just looking at like some of the examples and even what you said. I it, the barbarian is the other. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so you said, like it's not currently used that way, but like some popular, even very. Um, uh, contemporary examples, again, we'll get to those in a minute, are very mm -hmm. othered. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, barbarians uh, kind of exemplify this concept of fear of the other. And let me tell you, one of these days I will do an entire episode and probably never release it. Um, about that concept, 
that fear of the other and all the types of fiction that are wrapped into that. Yeah. And I think much of when we talk about barbarian, um, it, it's wrapped up in that. What I would, the advice that I've given, I, I talked a little bit about this with the Druid and the Paladin uh, when we t talked about those terms. As long as you're coming from a place where uh, you're in the Pathfinder lore, you're not trying to be hurtful, I don't think at this point it is problematic. So just, now, if you're trying to be weird about it, you know, that might be an issue. Which, by the way, the Game Master Guide has a section on problematic players. And how to deal with them. Do you have to read that a lot for us? If you, <laughs> Absolutely if you're thinking not. about making a problematic character, uh, don't. <laughs> exactly. Zonkathon be uh, praised. I also kind of wanted to talk about sort of in-universe, where you don't have to call yourself a barbarian, right? Like, you could, you, you can call yourself whatever makes sense. And that goes the same for all the classes, right? Like, you could be a paladin class. Uh, you could be a, well, I was specifically talking oh. about the paladin in this it's case. Give you crap. It's true. It's true. But it, it, you could be a champion and say that you're an adventurer. You could say you're a cleric and you're, uh, or not say you're a cleric, you have the cleric class, but say you're a knight. All of these would also apply to the barbarian. You don't have to go around using that. You can, in universe, in at the table, you can call your character whatever you need to. Yeah, that's interesting because I would never have considered like the barbarian as like a job title, right? Like, so mm -hmm. Thorn, like when you think barbarian, you think the cartoon. At least I think the cartoon character of like you know with the loincloth and like the mm -hmm. wooden club, like that's not Fire Thorn, right? Like that, like in terms of imagery, but like, like in my mind, barbarian is like a state of mind more than like a, like a, like a formal role or job type, right? Like, right. I, I, maybe that's what you're getting at. Like, yeah, no, no, no. It's exactly ability, what I'm getting at. But it's not like what you would refer to yourself as. Yeah. And now, if you want to create a character and you think you have a concept of somebody who would like use that term, that's fine too. I'm just saying, um, when you come at the table with a class, you don't have to use that class as your title. But I would like to say, uh, I listened to a podcast, and I think my favorite barbarian to exist as of yet, um, it was sort of a surprise reveal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the human mother of a half-orc. Um, and it was sort of the surprise that she was the barbarian. And it's just funny because, you know, she's just like this unassuming mother character for mo for like a, a couple episodes. And then she's like, oh, can I like go out adventuring with you? And so like her son is just trying to like protect her all the time and like get in the way of stuff. And like finally, like he gets hurt and she rages. Mm -hmm. Amazing. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, that kind of brings up the next point, which is what kind of barbarian archetypes in media do you guys sort of identify with or pull forward when we think about these things? 
Um, can I, um, I know this is on the list, but it kind of also relates to what we were just mm-hmm. talking about. And it answers this question. Um, when, I, when I was um, originally looking at creating Firethorn, you had to pick a background. And it's not the one that I picked, but one of the backgrounds that I really heavily considered and I thought was really appropriate was the gladiator background. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like that is more of a title or like a, a occupation, right? But I think it fits with the barbarian kind of stereotype when you think of their abilities perfectly. Yeah, I absolutely not- agree. Yeah. So it leads it, it answers both questions. Yeah, that's that is I think one of the barbarian fantasies, right? Like this big tough person fighting the hordes of enemies, but still can be kind of noble, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What else you guys got? Well, obvious one. Talking barbarian, they're the the uh, classic Conan the Barbarian, featuring <laughs> a, another great instance of James Earl Jones as, as and the a loincloth. Yeah, there's a few of those. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I thought we were gonna talk about Arnold. <laughs> that was Conan, right? Yeah, he was Conan. <laughs> but I, every every instance of James Earl Jones that isn't Darth Vader is it? It's good for me. Uh, and then it would talk a little more recent. You know, you, you got. I will um, stand Darth Vader just for the record. <laughs> hey, I'm not. What I'm do you not got against Darth Vader? Right. <laughs> I got nothing yeah, against like, Darth Vader. I'm just saying. What, James what do you Earl. got against James Earl Jones's portrayal of Darth Vader? I'm saying James Earl Jones has talent outside of Darth Vader, and so oh, many absolutely. people don't know it. That's Ooh, what that I'm is, saying. That is okay. Yes, well, that you is a crime. The first one poorly <laughs> because it made it sound like you were like, I just love James Earl Jones in every role except for Darth Vader. I was waiting for you to make like a chasing Amy argument. Does anybody know that reference? No, it's a Kevin Smith movie. Don't worry about oh, it. Yes, I do yeah. know. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, wait, what? And I was like, okay, what's a Nubian? Go watch Chasing Amy, people, if you've never seen Chasing Amy. I'm sure it's aged beautifully. <laughs> I'll talk more recent. Uh, Game of Thrones, you know, Call Drogo, the Dothraki. Mm, uh, yeah, and then, I hadn't even thought about that. And That's then, what I was... Oh. And then uh, I didn't think about this until you started think, saying, like, the fear of the other. Um, all the wildlings trapped on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the epitome of that. Yeah. yeah. So Carl Drago is what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about even in con- there are contemporary examples where the barbarians tend to be, you know, a little more melanin enhanced <laughs> uh, in popular media. Like mm-hmm. that is part of the intimidation factor. Like in Game of Thrones, you have you know the civilized uh, population, and I forget the name of the area the the contract restros yeah but then you have like the the dothraki clearly like you know in the desert in that kind of area with that kind of um Mm -hmm. stereotype you know not european culture Mm -hmm. Um, which don't get me wrong like the dothraki were really cool and i think you they were portrayed in a way that you were supposed to like them and like that was like the cool fan like that was the cool people to be a part of but still it was 
the portrayal was these are the weirdos. These are the mm-hmm. uncivilized people. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we kind of have a basis of where sort of the barbarian fiction has come from, uh, let's talk about the uh, Pathfinder version of it, which I say would say really focuses more on the anger and uh, berserker uh, archetypes than it does some of these other um, aspects that we talked about, which I really appreciate it. Um, but let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's get into the numbers. Uh, Jesse, why don't you take us through how many hit points you get per level? Because I want to talk about that. A lot. So you get 12 plus your con modifier. Uh, so your your HP gets really, really large, really, really fast. So um, I like I don't really like video games. And I think one of like a like the bullet sponge uh, enemies, like the classic example mm-hmm. of like the Uncharted series where you whip out your desert eagle. And like for most people, like it's a one shot kill. It doesn't matter where you hit them. But then there's like some enemies where you like fire your desert eagle like five times before they go down. You're like, what the heck are they? They're probably a barbarian. Yeah, they're the only class to get 12 hit points. Everybody else is below that. Well, also I feel if you're sort of building a classic barbarian, uh, like you're pumping a lot of your stat points into con anyway. So Mm -hmm. like that has the capacity to get out of hand super quickly. (sighs) I just thought of another example. Sorry. Bane. Bane? Bane? From Batman. Mm-hmm. Is this because you were playing Arkham Knight? Uh, sort of, but also like the big brute of a guy who's like, he's, he just, super he's just so angry and he just wants to hit everything. Oh, are you talking classic Bane or Dark yeah, Knight Bane? Not, not Dark Knight Bane. Well, actually, I would argue Dark Knight Bane as well. He just keeps his rage only out when he activates it. The Hulk. Like, oh my the gosh. Hulk, the Hulk, yes. The, how did we... Guys, the we Hulk, missed it. Obviously the I Hulk. intentionally was avoiding the Hulk because it was too Can't. obvious. Cancel <laughs> the episode. We have to start over. <laughs> okay. Not right. starting over. Hey, welcome back to Dice Don't Dice Deep <laughs> Nope. Nope. <laughs> Although you mentioned Constitution. Mm-hmm. It is not. I thought they might make the class a Constitution-based class. Uh, but it's not. It's actually strength-based. So that is your key. Everything moves off of strength, which I think does make sense, right? Yeah, you're not kidding. just a, a hit sponge. Got the, got the club and you're just clubbing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I also think that uh, they get a decent amount of skills. It's three plus your intelligence modifier. That is not the least amount. Uh, I want to say there's one who gets two plus your intelligence modifier. But... I'm not sure. Can't remember now. Yeah, I was going to look up. But it's not the worst. I also wanted to mention that... And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but 
past iterations of the Barbarian could not read. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yes. Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is this like a is this like a goblin situation? Yeah. Uh, no, more like that they were so unintelligent they couldn't read. Then I would say that is not Dark Knight Bane. <laughs> well, again, that is not the Pathfinder too. Actually, none of the Pathfinder um, had that as a class f- feature. We'll say feature. Feature. Uh, but uh, they get three automatic skills. Now, I think for most barbarians. Uh, intelligence is not going to be your primary stat. Uh, it just might looked. be your dump stat. <laughs> I just looked. Firethorn has a zero intelligence modifier. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I am not, not shocked by that. Hey, at least it's not negative. It's not negative. Oh. Punch that wall. That's great. That's fantastic. So let's talk the two features of the Barbarian that make the class unique. The first one is your primary ability, Rage. So when you Rage, you get to do additional damage. Your AC goes down. You get temporary hit points. But you cannot use abilities that have the concentration uh, trait. It lasts... Oh, go ahead. Say with one exception, it depends on... You might be going to get to that. Um, Depends on... uh, Not even instinct. Um, So most intimidation uh, skills require concentration. But one of the first level barbarian feats, because obviously barbarian should be pretty scary... Um, basically, the whole point of it is to get around the fact that you can intimidate without concentration. Like you don't, you are just naturally intimidating. You don't have to try to do it. Yeah, I we'll talk about idea. that in the feed okay. section. Okay. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. That's perfectly fine because it, it is an exception to the rule. So the base rule is that you get additional damage, which I think is interesting. So you get a negative to your armor class automatically, mm-hmm. which means you're easier to hit. Because you're raging, right? You're putting everything into doing as much damage as possible. That doesn't mean that it, it, that means that you're not really protecting yourself as much. Can I give you like some imagery here? Of course. Like it's a bad action movie, a stereotype, but it's also a thing. I, I love the Yakuza series and video games. I maybe mentioned this, but like a common trope in every Yakuza game. There's one dude who's going to get shot in the chest like five times. Clearly, they're going to die, right? Before mm-hmm. they do, they're so adrenaline-fueled. They're not even trying to dodge their bu- those bullets. They're mm-hmm. just going to come at you, and they're going to beat the crap out of you. And then they're going to fall over dead because you just shot them in the chest five times. But it doesn't even matter. Like, you can hit them, but they're not going to go down. Right. Until after they've hit you. Then they're done. Yeah. <laughs> That actually 
kind of tracks, especially with the temporary hit points. Right. Yeah. Of like yeah. those temporary hit points are. I just gotta keep going, man. Mm-hmm. I gotta. Like I, exactly. Yep. Oh, absolutely. So. The requirements for Rage, it is a one-action ability, so you do have to take an action to do it. Uh, the requirements aren't, are that you aren't already raging, so you can't rage twice, which I found really funny for some reason. Double rage. <laughs> if somebody my just... my secret, Captain. Like, <laughs> if somebody came to the GM and was like, okay... I rage twice, I get twice the benefits. What GM is going to say okay to that? I mean, that's a big AC hit. I mean, yeah, but... Only if it's the, the barbarian's birthday. I think. Ooh. No, Jesse, never. Not going to happen. <laughs> anyway, and then you're not for fatigued. So if you're fatigued, you can't rage. Uh, and then once you are finished raging for like i said it lasts for a minute uh you can't rage again for another minute so if you're in a very long combat that lasts more than 10 rounds uh you're gonna go out of rage and you cannot enter it again but i think those instances are pretty rare i think we're going to talk about it later maybe but the but like uh, dive more into the concept of fatigue, specifically like how mm-hmm. some, some of the playtest rules, and I think it's a PF one rules as well. Oh uh, n- no, I I wasn't gonna talk about that. We can talk oh. about fatigue. Never mind. I don't want to derail you. No, that's fine. I honestly, while it's useful for me as a person who's playing a barbarian, I think it's interesting that they got rid of like so every round. I think in the playtest, you got closer to fatigued. Like, there was actually a penalty to being in rage. Oh, for rage? Yeah. And they took that out of the actual final release. And I thought that was an interesting, kind of going back to, like, my silly Yakuza analogy. I thought that was, I think in role-playing-wise, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you can only rage so much. Eventually, Mm -hmm. you run out of steam. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they took that out. It almost feels, I'm not complaining, but it feels a little OP. Given that, like, there's basically no penalty to raging now, unless you're in just like a a, a really, really, really long. Combat. Yeah, I think because fatigued can be such a detrimental thing. Also, there's some feats that you get extra benefits, and then you become fatigued. So we're going to talk about one of those. Oh, gotcha. Okay, but like, it feel like it made sense, like for mm-hmm. the barbarian. Eventually, they just kind of run out of you know, yeah, juice. run out of steam. Yeah. So the other thing that makes a barbarian different than every other class are the instincts. So this is sort of where you get your rage from. Not only do they have things that improve your rage, improve your barbarian, they also added something that was kind of controversial in the playtest, which is the anathema. And I find this really cool. So, Jesse, which instinct are you? Dragon. Your anathema is letting a personal assault against you slide. Yep. And there's one other one. Uh, You have to, whether you respect or 
abhor abhor that's not how you say that word abhor sure yeah abhor okay abhor anyway abhor uh dragons so you have to be like f you dragons i don't like you or you have to be like dragons are my jam you gotta defend their honor yeah depending on yeah so if you pick abhor which is what you did pick right jesse yep, yep. Uh, Gotta fight you, dragons. You have to fight dragons. Oof. Yep. Like, it is not I, a choice. I didn't know the anathema was controversial. I think that's, like, again, similar to the fatigue, I think that's a good design choice for that archetype. Like, it makes sense. Well, it's not something that they've ever had before. So, the idea of... Uh, hot, hot take. Pathfinder 2 is better. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you're not going to get too many disagreements. Hot take. <laughs> it's not a bad take. It is not a bad take. So, I will say with the anathema, you can deny it. So, actually, this is a good example. With the cobalts, the last session we had. Mm-hmm. If it this was pure mind control or something that you had to do, Jesse wouldn't have a choice to have stepped away from those cobalts. But because she saw, okay, one, these aren't true dragons, and two, I don't want to cause a conflict here, she chose to step away. So there yeah. are some role-playing choices you can make. I was actually, that's an interesting point. Like, was that appropriate or should I would I say have? so. Okay. I, I think that especially with the character growth that your character is having right now, where she is essentially trying to make friends. <laughs> like By the she, end of this campaign, she's going to be a cleric. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be a Zonkathon cleric, but. <laughs> <laughs> so like, she wants Sunny to be her friend, right? Yeah. Like that's uh, not just Sunny, but everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, she wants them to like her. She enjoys traveling with him. And so the idea of, like, yes, these are dragon like beings that I hate, but I'm going to walk away was interesting. Now, I think if you come across an actual dragon, a gold dragon, yeah, I would have to take it on. <laughs> It's oh, no. <laughs> guys, we'll be fine. <laughs> I think that there are some interesting character choices that are going to have to be made. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I one hundred percent with what you said. Like had it been a real dragon, especially a gold dragon, I don't think Firethorn would have stepped away from that. Even if her party had abandoned her, I think she would have not mind control compelled, but like her own ethics would have compelled her to mm-hmm. take that on. Guys, but this idea... Fire thorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that God. might make... You might make an enemy out of that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I like this idea of for barbarians, they're, they're not just raging against the machine for no reason. Killing in the name of? But I'm thumped. Yeah, but it's true, though. I'm trying to think of other Rage Against the Machine puns. 
No, no more. On a blank. Okay. So we went kind of over the bar, uh, the dragon one just because that's what Jesse's character has. But there's also animal instinct. I like both animal and dragon because you can pick the type of animal and the type of dragon and they give you different abilities. Um, so uh, as Jesse alluded to, she has gold as her dragon type and can uh, eventually do a breath weapon. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's so for each of the dragons, there's the chromatic and the metallic. So I'll get to this later, but like the original iteration of Firethorn was uh, the red dragon type because red dra- the chromatic ones are evil. Um, the difference between the chromatic, um, the red dragon versus the golden dragon is the shape of the breath weapon that you eventually get. One of them is a linear uh, fire yep. breath, and one is is conical. But she picked. I picked gold because red dragons are going to be evil. And I felt like it'd probably be bad juju to pick the red one as opposed to the gold one since the metallic dragons are good aligned. Especially given that you're supposed to represent that dragon. Right. No, I get it. Yeah. I definitely get it. How do you feel about gold dragons, though? Um, so I picked gold because my original plan was that I thought you had to, um, respect them. Um, but now that I understand that you can uh, abhor them. Uh, so the background, like one of the backgrounds you could pick was like, um, like basically how you became imbued with this dragon power. And Mm -hmm. I think, uh, Firethorn's ancestry was, um, not ancestry background was, um, basically former slave so basically the background i picked for her is like she's basically the victim of some really hardcore medical experiments Mm -hmm. so she hates gold dragons Mm -hmm. but had i known up front that you could go that route i might have picked red dragon just because the shape's cooler (laughs) um actually they also get cone did i pick it wrong or did i did i say it backwards gold is also cone they're the same I thought one of them was linear and one of them was brass. Cone. Brass is line of fire. Uh, copper is line of acid. Uh, blue is line of electri- electricity. None of them are. Um, I thought red was conical and gold was linear. They're both. Go- both of them are cone of fire. Then maybe I the only re- maybe purely the only reason I picked gold over red was just the good versus evil thing. Maybe because. I want a party that's going to like Firethorn versus a party that's going to hate Firethorn. Well, yeah, chromatic dragons are traditionally evil. Metallic dragons are traditionally evil. Obviously, there's variation within that. Right. Oh, you just said traditionally no. evil twice in a row. But is I think traditionally good is what yeah. I meant. Sorry. Anyway, and then there's the fury instinct, the giant instinct, and the spirit instinct. So some really cool options. The the instincts are going to give you a a special ability. Can Um, I just jump in? Yeah. Fury is the one where basically, you know, you find your anger, like, just deep inside yourself. You are the source of your own anger. That's Fury, right? Is that just a bunch of self-hate? And yes, it is. Or just a bunch of things up. like, Like, so I think Fury is also an interesting one. So, like... You 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 find the source of your strength within you, as opposed to like some outside. It's a, role playing wise, that's a neat one, I think. Anyway, 
Yeah, I I agree. The thing that I always found weird with the Fury Instinct is there you gain resistance to physical damage from weapons, but if somebody punches you, you're taking all of that damage. I because that means they also found their anger from deep inside themselves. <laughs> Apparently, and channel it through their fist. That's oh, very anime. Repair and I love your it. body more for the damage from a weapon, and then you see a fist. You're like, that's not going to hurt. <laughs> oh, because, that hurt a lot. Swords are for people who don't feel comp. They don't feel confident enough to to do it themselves. They also weapons don't have an anathema. Yeah, because I mean, what you're just mad all the time, right? <laughs> It's a cool, uh, I think, role-playing opportunity to play the Fury. It also doesn't have a uh, instinct ability. So, like, Draconic Rage is uh, one of the things that you get uh, that increases your damage. Uh, they don't get anything like that. But I got, I'm betting they get, like, like maybe their HP bonus is higher or something. Maybe, I don't no, know. No, so they get a specialization uh, ability and... Raging resistance. That's the um you resist physical weapon damage, but not physical damage from other sources. Hmm. So where you get punched. Raging, everybody gets raging resistance though. Like for example, Firethorn will eventually get resistance to fire. Right. Theirs is physical weapon attacks. Yeah, so there's like there's like no other than role playing fun, there's no advantage to taking fury. Uh no, you you get an additional first level barbarian feat. Oh uh, yes, yeah. Sorry, okay, so some of those are pretty, pretty so dope. Far. Okay. Yes, uh, and then like I said, they also kind of encourage you to go down the uh, weapon specialization feat tree because uh, uh, if you take greater weapon specialization, uh, it goes up to twelve. Your damage increases up to twelve uh, when you rage. Okay, so they're just super, super angry. <laughs> they You're are. Angry. That is the Hulk. You are playing. You are RPing the Hulk at that point. You're not wrong. So those are kind of the two features with the barbarian that make them unique. They're de- they're going to get the same thing everybody else is going to get uh, skill feats. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to uh, reference was deny advantage. It's your level three ability. This is kind of cool. So whenever you're being flanked uh, or your foe is hidden or for some reason you'd be flat-footed, you're not. So uh, you aren't flat-footed to hidden, undetected, or flanked creatures of your level or lower. Can't sneak up on a barbarian. Nope. Barbarian is always ready. (laughs) Does. Uh, so I liked that one. Uh, and then, as we usually talk about the capstone abilities, this this class actually has two. It has Armor of Fury. Uh, so your armor uh, proficiency is Master. So not so interesting, but still cool. Uh, and then the other ability they have is Devastator. Your strikes are so devastating, they don't care about resistance. Uh, your, your melee strikes ignore 10 points of resistance. 
So, so I'm like, gonna burn that water elemental. <laughs> I'm gonna burn it so hard. <laughs> so it's just your weapon strikes. It's not your breath attack. Oh, I know, but it's pretty cool. Let's talk about some of the unique feats that they get. Let's start with uh, the one that you had mentioned. Excuse me. Let's start with the one you had mentioned, Jesse. Okay. Uh, that had to do with intimidation. What was the name of that? Raging intimidation? Yes. So yeah, essentially, raging. what this does is it changes the rules for you. Where uh, you can now intimidate while raging. Don't got to concentrate on scaring you. I'm just really scary as is. <laughs> so that would be like the demoralize action or the scared to death action. And as, um, so assuming you have a high enough intelligence or you took the, not intelligence, um, intimidation, or you, you're, you're trained in intimidation, automatically you get intimidating glitch as a result of raging intimidation. And then when you qualify for these additional skill feats you get intimidating prowess and then i forget what the third one is the third one is a higher scared to death yes scared to death so it's pretty cool i'm not gonna lie i'm a little jealous about that that feat is in my opinion really neat firethorn is the scariest gnome (laughs) she's so scary the fact that she's a gnome is just so great i love it so much uh, what are some of the other uh, feats that are pretty cool? So I know which one you want to talk about. Um, the one that I took, so mind learning this as I go, so, you know, level three. Uh, the level two feat I picked was No Escape, which I just think, again, when I think about barbarian archetypes, I think No Escape is a, just a really cool feat. So what it allows you to do, um, when an enemy tries to move away you can just follow them up to your movement speed just automatic like every turn you can do this so they're trying to get away no you just follow them it's like just imagine like this you know if we're playing barbarians to type right um this big scary intimidating being just stalking you across the playing field like you're trying to run away but you can't this thing is just this 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 person is just keeping up with you i just think that is I hate to keep using the word intimidating, but I just think it's like this the most the from from a role play scary. It's so intimidating. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's so it's scary. Terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do love that you can't use it against uh flying creatures. <laughs> like that cracks me up. No. You c- oh no, wait, you're right. You can. You can. That's if, again what's crazy. if you have the corresponding movement type. Right. So if you can fly, that would be so terrifying. <laughs> Yep. Can you just think about that? Like Flying you're a barbarian, creature, and then all of us, like you're trying to fly away. This has worked for you every single time, and you look back, and she's still there. Yeah, I thought like the ones that we, <laughs> at least for Firethorns, unless you get some kind of crazy flight flight ability, but like you try to swim away, Firethorn's mm-hmm. gonna follow you. You try to climb away, Fire Firethorn can jump a fence just as well as you can. Uh, <laughs> well, it, I, yeah, it's. That's pretty dope. I love no escape. (laughs) Magic armor. 
magic armor? It's all I, you know, maybe Firethorn finds, I know barbarians don't really like mm. to wear armor, but, you know, maybe she finds a breastplate that, you know, once a day, if you trace the right rune, some wings pop out of the back and she's yeah, even like more some Pegasus shoes. Yeah, yeah. I get Dragon where you're going that. Jetpack. <laughs> no. No, I'm with a jetpack. Get a jetpack. No, no jetpack for you. We just got to go visit Numeria. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Moving it just on falls that. out of a Starfinder game somehow. Come on. No. Find but I know there's a seat you want to talk about, right? <laughs> uh, I'll talk about mine last because it is oh. a level 20 feet. I mean, I know that barbarians get attacks of opportunity. One of the is... only two classes that do. Yeah, isn't it them and fighters? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's neat. Because y- even if you hadn't taken down, it hadn't taken, like, hunt down your prey all the time, uh, <laughs> you still get attack again when they try to move away from you. They're both pretty good. It gave me pause. Like I debated back mm-hmm. and forth between the two of those for maybe more than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thinker. Uh, and the one that I particularly liked was Cleave. So with Cleave, once somebody, when somebody, uh, once the barbarian kills somebody or knocks them unconscious, why not add a little extra insult to their injury? By attacking their friend who's right next to them. <laughs> Just carry right on through with that swing. Try to knock their head off with them. Come on. That's hilarious. I, that's like, what level is that one? I, I remember thinking Firethorn maybe. level six. Yeah. I, it, it, you actually get access to that one is the same time you get access to uh, Attack of Opportunity. I thought Attack of Opportunity was a second level. Uh, it might be for... Um, because I thought I, I, I thought I opted so, against that, but maybe so I was for fighters. Of- I think it's second level, but at level six, uh, barbarians and actually I forgot about this. Champions can take that one too. Mm-hmm. I maybe totally I was thinking ahead. That. I was thinking I'd probably take cleave over attack of opportunity. It's maybe what it was. Cleave is real good. <laughs> I got one. So. uh there's a level eight feat called Share Rage, where you literally can just give one of your willing allies the benefits of the rage action. That's hilarious. Oh, how do you roleplay that? Do I just like randomly punch Ashka and I'm like, go? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would go poorly for you, I feel. It says but you can do that Ash. within 30 feet, so you just, you just have to figure out something to yell at him that really offends them. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta yell terrible insults about people's mothers. <laughs> I don't think start shedding, uh Start shouting really bad your mama jokes across the battlefield. Yes. Firethorn's so awkward though. <laughs> exactly. She really is. She's so awkward. <laughs> Tell Sunny that the uh, opponents tore up some art in like a different room that we haven't seen. Well, yeah, and I'll just go it. nuts on them. <laughs> Yeah, Sunny would not be pleased. <laughs> That's so funny. So the last one that I wanted to talk about is 
Invulnerable Juggernaut. Juggernaut. That's First a barbarian. Of all, oh, what a great God. name. Right? Just, just the word Juggernaut. So, a plus word. I want to bring this up for a couple of reasons. So it sticks out on the Archives of Nethys website because it is the only one that's not allowed in Pathfinder Society play. Because they're like, <laughs> Well, no. Don't hate the it's, player, hate the game. Right? It's because of where the feat is gotten from. It is a feat that is in the last book of Age of Ashes. We have to keep playing, guys. <laughs> so, so it's it's really great. Uh, you gain resistance equal to three plus your constitution modifier to all damage. Uh, and your resistance from uh, raging resistance increases. So you get even more damage reduction. Which is interesting because your AC goes down. So it's kind of interesting that you level up and suddenly you get good. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a level 20 feet. Yeah. Like, like finally you figure out how to like defend yourself. Like you've learned. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's also it's your final form. Yeah, it is. If you are reduced to zero hit points, you end your rage and stay at one hit point. So you're not knocked down. So it's kind this of is like so anime. Yeah. To both of those. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, pretty great. Now, I was trying to find it, and I'm not able to find it. There's also uh, some a feat that you can take that uh, boosts your rage, but then afterwards, your fatigue. Mm. Um, but I cannot find what feed that is. So any of you guys who are I can look. Any of you out there who are barbarian experts, let me know what that is. It's so now that oh, is it are you sure it's a Pathfinder 2 thing? I'm pretty sure, but I could be wrong. Now that we've kind of talked about the barbarian as it is now, I wanted to talk about ancestry options that kind of fit good with that. And I'm going to start by saying, if you're looking for the absolute optimal pick, anything that oh. gives us... Do Go you ahead. Do know what that other feat is? What is it? Second wind. So it lets ah. you reach twice. That's right. And it's a level... Oh, I could already have it. It's a level two feet. Cool. But then you're fatigued until you rest for 10 minutes. Right. I knew that there was one of them out there, but I couldn't remember it. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate no it. No problem. Gotta uh, take a power nap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a little baby. Uh Aww. Firethorn is really good at her power naps. Yeah, look how peaceful she is. Preferably <laughs> under a bookcase. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, if you're looking for a, a very optimal option, I would look for something that's a medium creature that has a strength bonus and no dex deficit. There aren't any races that have those currently. 
I don't think. Uh, but that is something that I would look for. And yet we're gonna talk about the the ancestry that Jesse picked, <laughs> which does in fact have a strength penalty. What? Okay, Jessie, so why'd you pick gnome? Okay, so here's the story, guys. Uh, during the play test, I mean, it's a play test. That is literally your opportunity to kind of play around with mechanics and see what works and what doesn't. So I, I, I thought I'd do everybody a favor. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you. To see what was viable and what wasn't. So it was the second, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The second phase of the campaign, of the play test campaign. Uh, I think we were all, what, like level four or five characters, something like that. I don't know if anybody remembers the second phase. Of the I think it was five. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, so one, I had played the first phase as a gnome. I think it was a gnome. Um, oh, what's Ashka's character? You throw, you throw alchemist. Alchemist. Yeah, the gnome alchemist. Um, and so I thought, what is this? The dumbest combination I can come up with. Gnome Barbarian. That's just silly, right? Um, and also, she was an evil gnome, and she, you know, she, she uh, worshipped Zonkathon. Mm -hmm. It's mostly the same character, guys. Uh, <laughs> and just to see if it would work. And I remember just having a complete blast playing this character, and I thought that was really cool that Pathfinder 2, especially the way you, the, the way abilities points are handled in uh Pathfinder 2 is flexible enough so you can really make and, and, and later on in the playtest we tried a bunch of other just dumb things um, mm -hmm. it's hard to make a character that's just completely unviable yeah gnomes are definitely at a disadvantage for barbarian but there are definitely ways to make up for it um, I ended up not going this route with this uh, iteration of Firethorn but I remember the original one I, I used uh weapons finesse to get around the strength deficit and i used dex to attack yep. now my actual damage obviously was at a deficit because i took the negative one this time around instead of using finesse i just basically threw a bunch of points into strength to get it up to a positive so it's not the highest strength modifier but it, it, it's still positive um and i'm not this this iteration isn't using uh finesse mm -hmm. um, but the point is i mean if you listen to the podcast you see when Firethorn hits, she hits hard. Like, she is rough. And she's a gnome, and I think that's adorable <laughs> and really cool that you can do that. Um, so like I said, I, I, I just did it in the playtest as an experiment to see if you could make it work. And sure enough, to Pathfinder 2's credit, you can certainly make it work. And because I loved that character so much, I just wanted an excuse to, to make her again. The only real difference between that other than the weapons finessing, the only real difference between that Firethorn and this Firethorn is alignment. And that's my story. So yeah, guys, uh, get crazy with your character creations because Pathfinder 2 is flexible enough to make even the dumbest combinations actually useful in a party. So you could make a goblin barbarian. Oh, absolutely, and you should. I don't know about that. I think it might actually work better. Maybe. I feel like it fits the, uh, bar uh, the goblin stereotype a little better than the gnome stereotype. They that can be a little ragey. Yeah. 
all those teeth can make them super scary. Come on. Yeah. Like I like to your point, like or like I think a, a goblin alchemist is like by in Pathfinder one would have been insane and absolutely would not have worked. Beth, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you can. Goblins it would work, <laughs> but it it wouldn't have been the most optimal. And there are things that you would have struggled. You would be behind everybody else in damage. Because in Pathfinder 1, you'd also be using small weapons. Mm. And there was a damage difference. So yeah, like I, I think Firethorn, because she is a gnome, she is not the best barbarian she could have been, but she is still a darn good barbarian, and I don't... I mean, I haven't heard any complaints. <laughs> no complaints here. No. We love her. Uh, well, next up, I would say would be... My vote would be lizard folk. Uh, for We've one thing... We've all kind of picked our favorite ancestries. Like, why not? They're awesome. It's a requirement at this point for me to mention goblins in every episode. I'm contractually obligated. 100%. Way to stay on brand. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes lizard folk in particular really good? I mean... Of course, you're going to have uh, the strength bonus. Um, you do have the uh, intelligence uh, deficit. Which uh, kind of fits in pretty well with Barbarian. Right. Um, that's probably going to be a lot of people's dump stat anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they get a claw attack. Exactly. So, And I think that's something that you can really use to your advantage. If you really just feel like you're when you're raging, you just don't even want to worry about that weapon. Just toss it to the ground and get out your claws. And just go right at their face. It's going to be amazing. Uh, you also have some um, certain feats that allow you to have a swim speed. One of the heritage is the wetlander um, gives you a 15-foot swim speed. I didn't even see the heritages. I was looking more at the feats. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, some of them allow you more travel. So it's better move around in wet areas, like marshes or in actual water. Uh, so if your opponent should decide to try to get away by swimming, oh, they're so screwed. They're not getting away from you. And but you can use your, in, your uh, demoralize action. Or not demoralize, the follow your opponent. While swimming. Mm. They think they're getting away. Uh-uh. Uh, there's also plenty of ancestral feats for them that uh, increase damage with claws or proficiency with them. Uh, allows them a bite attack. Yeah, sharp fangs. I was just <laughs> looking at that because the unarmored attack deals uh, 1d8 piercing damage. And if you don't want just a regular bite attack, go for the envenom fangs. You get to poison your enemies by biting them. Not well, bad. you have to have sharp fangs first. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Details, Beth. Come on. <laughs> okay. Beth, you remember rule. how we talked about not using movement speed? We're also just going to ignore prereq feats. Oh, so yeah, okay. no. <laughs> good good um, luck convincing me of that. Can we just toss out the rule book? I mean, <laughs> no. 
That's no. been weighing down my bookshelf for a long time. I don't know if I need that. I think it's really. It hasn't even been out a year though. yet. <laughs> Speaking of ancestry feeds, I just thought about one more thing about gnome. Can I mention it? Sure, of course. So, uh, Firethorns, um, or one of her level, her level one ancestry feat is Grim Insight, which I think is less interesting than a lot of the lizard feats in terms of combat mechanics. But in terms mm-hmm. of role playing, I think it's actually kind of cool. So what Grim Insight allows you to do, basically fear effects are at a serious disadvantage against a gnome with uh, Grim Insight. And if you try to use a fear effect against a gnome with that feat and fail, you're flat-footed. Oh. So it kind of, the whole idea of like, you know, barbarians being super intimidating, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't play a player, right? Like you can't, you cannot intimidate a gnome barbarian. Like, you just can't. She she is the she is the scariest being on the planet, even though she's tiny and cute. Don't even try. Like, there's no point. That's <laughs> you only hilarious. hurt yourself. <laughs> Ooh, okay, just looking at the uh, unseen lizard folk. Yeah, so, that one's cool too. <laughs> you can change your skin color to blend into your surroundings. <laughs> so, basically, the Predator movies. You're just hiding in plain sight, and all of a sudden, ah, rage, kill them. That's pretty good. Fantastic. I, I really love that imagery, but I did want to say there's somebody who has been waiting very patiently to talk about the ancestry that they think uh, is yes. best. Oh. David, you want to wrap up the uh, ancestry section? Well, I was just going to say, Beth, you had mentioned that there's nothing out there with a strength bonus and no dex deficit. But <laughs> you can totally do that with a human. No, what I meant um, to actually... say that there was nothing <laughs> yeah, that had a strength yeah, positive and a dex deficit. Don't put words in my mouth. Humans are good what at everything. Say is humans are boring, so... <laughs> humans are boring. <laughs> But they are very good at playing barbarians. I would also give you that for a lot of the fantasy of playing a barbarian, they're, they would be pretty popular too. So that kind of leads us to uh, our last section. And if you notice, we changed our format up a little bit. I wanted to talk about the difference between Pathfinder 1 and Pathfinder 2. So we've talked about sort of where we are now and a little bit of where we've been as well. Uh, But I think it's important to talk about the fact that there were three barbarians in Pathfinder 1. There was the original barbarian that released in the core rulebook. There was the barbarian Unchained that simplified their rage mechanics. And then there was the brawler, which was a, I think, fighter. Oh, no, no, no. It was a uh, fighter-monk hybrid. I feel like the brawler would fit better with Barbarian. Uh, But I was wrong about that. It's fighter and monk. But anyway, uh, the rage mechanics for Pathfinder 1 were a little different. 
So the way that it worked was you got a boost to your constitution score, which would then give you additional hit points, but then you also got temporary hit points on top of that. And then you got the negative two, or yeah, negative two penalty to armor class and a positive to your melee attack rolls, damage rolls, as well as thrown, thrown weapons. That's interesting because Pathfinder 2 doesn't give you a bonus to attack. For raging? Nope, only to damage. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, this was to uh, attack and damage. Uh, it also was a free action. It wasn't, it wasn't an action. Mm. Uh, and then they had, in Pathfinder 1, there was something called Rage Powers. This is sort of what the feats are now. Mm. Um, but you would take certain powers, uh, to go into certain stances, um, which was kind of, um, cool. Sounds very ninja-ish. Uh, like the different... Kind of? Yeah. Because you had guarded stance and powerful stance. I definitely like the the theme of Pathfinder 2 better. It's uh, like the idea that you have to do the math around uh, the, your constitution bonus, like especially at higher levels. Oh my gosh, the math you have to do up front to figure out what your HP should be seems ugh, tedious. Yep. And then it was all dependent on rounds. So you had to track how many rounds you were raging mm. versus just being able to range all, rage all the time. And then, like we mentioned before, you were fatigued afterwards. I am interested to know, like, the, I, I get that it's arguably more fun to play without having to worry about being fatigued afterwards, but I am curious how, to know how they came to the decision to get rid of that. Because I, I just think it makes sense. Like you go hard and then you get tired. I don't know. I think that I wouldn't know for sure, but since it was going to last the whole combat anyway, it just didn't make sense or it wasn't needed, but I don't know. That's definitely something. Yeah. Role play. Like, and then I took a nap. Don't go anywhere. Don't start another combat. I'm taking a nap. Well, and the, it wouldn't be for very long either. So yeah. yeah, if it was just that ten minutes, like uh, the one that we read about earlier, you know, it's just as much time as it takes Sunny to do to recharge his lay on hands, or mm-hmm. you know, his focus point, small rest, right? Where essentially you could role plate that as refocusing as well. Yeah, or, yeah. I, I say I remember in the play test that mechanic was still in place, so like you could run out of steam mid battle, and then you took all those negatives for if i remember correctly it was so many rounds and then after that you were back to normal and you could rage again Mm -hmm. it wasn't like just a so the other thing that i wanted to mention with the original barbarian was an ability that never made sense to me it's called trap sense so for some reason barbarians are really good at detecting traps we know they're a, he- they a concentration-focused class, and they concentrate so well, they can detect... I'm being sarcastic. No, yeah. no, no, that checks out. That checks out. 
of I course. don't know. They are better than um, rogues, really, because of that high oh, concentration oh level. They are the most level-headed. No. We need to stop. Stop right now. Well, and then that that part tracks the Pathfinder, too, because for whatever reason, they get a higher proficiency in perception than everybody else. That is true. That is really weird. Yeah, we are experts in perception. It's just Maybe it's very just you're always looking for things to hit, that you're just mm-hmm. real good at looking at stuff. So actually, that does make sense with the feet uh, that you mentioned, Beth. Or not the, is it a feet or a class feature? I forget. Um, Basically, you can't that you like you can't uh, sneak up or use flanking attacks. Oh yeah, well, I was gonna say that is kind of the precursor or the not precursor. This is the precursor to that. So um, you can kind of see the evolution of that ability, oh, that right? Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have in basic barbarian, you have trap sense. Then in the unchained version, they changed it to danger sense. But again, it revolved mostly around traps. Mm -hmm. And then if you look into the um, uh, class features now, it's... Yeah, you can't be flanked. You won't be flat-footed if flanked sneak attack. What was the name of that ability? Deny Uh, advantage. Yeah. Deny advantage. So that's kind of how it evolved. And now it doesn't have anything to do with traps at all. Although I think that there is a feat. I think this, again, in terms of like role-playing, what you think of when you think of the term barbarian, I think this makes way more sense than, and I see a trap. I guess. Can I, I punch I, I it? Like, Can I punch that trap? I feel like the barbarian would walk right into the trap, but as like I'm imagining like one of the like like a log trap. As soon as it swings down, barbarian's just gonna punch it. Barbarian doesn't care about your trap. It's not that the barbarian senses the trap. It's the bar the trap just does not work on the barbarian. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that would be pretty funny. Well, guys, that's the barbarian. What do you think? I mean, I'm a fan. <laughs> Obviously, like I play I, I, barbarian in my other game, so same. Yeah, again, as the, as part of the play test, I wanted to try something like I like characters I would not norm classes I would not normally pick. I normally pick more um, utility classes. Like I really liked playing rogues. I really liked playing uh, bards. I really liked playing witches. Witches were kind of a utility class too because that all the witches are best class. Just gonna put it out there. Uh, Don't disagree. Well, coming out in July. Pretty excited for my birthday. For our birthday. For our birthday. <laughs> um, uh, but so I like for the playtest, I was just picking classes that I would never normally pick. Like I started out with Alchemist. I would never play a Barbarian in Pathfinder 1. And I really love playing it in Pathfinder 2. I think mm-hmm. I love how Pathfinder makes just character type diversity. Like you just have so much more op- many more options than you did in Pathfinder One. Things that you could basically put any combination together and you can make it work. And not only can you make it work, yeah. you can make it useful with the rest of the party. And I'm I having think, so much fun with the Barbarian. I think right now it's a little less options, only because we don't have very many books. But with the publishing cycle that Path or that Paizo has, we'll have more options before you know it. It was oh. swimming in options. Yeah, I, I guess I'm more meant like 
like they get like only certain ancestries or I guess races were viable with certain classes. Like right. it, 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 the fact that you can mix and match things however you want in Pathfinder too, I just think gives you like opportunities to role play things that just weren't. Yeah. You would like you you could maybe make it, but your party would hate you for it in Pathfinder. Agreed. Well, I think that's it. Chad, you want to take us out? Uh, yeah. Uh, remember, guys, if you want to make your own barbarian, uh, check out Pathfinder 2. It's fantastic. I don't know why you guys haven't been playing it yet. Get to it. And until next time, this has been Dice Don't Die. Because after all, dice don't die. But player characters do. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work, and the work of many others, can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.